1: Welcome to this week's Failed Critics podcast. I'm Steve Norman. This week I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Paul Field. Evening, fellas. As we take an adventure through film, stage shows, and even television this week, we're going to start off with the quiz where I think I'm losing 1 0 already, Owen. Mm-hmm, you are. Which is why I got Paul to actually do the questions, because he's rubbish at answering them, and he'd be answering on my behalf. <laughs> but he's really good at putting together a quiz. Oh,
2: it was a ploy. Well, it,
3: it, it was quite short notice, so I'm not to go to put together a quiz as more borrowed a quiz. It's literally straight up TV and film questions. Take it in turns to answer. If, if you can't or get it wrong, I will pass it over for a bonus point. Do you want to go first or second, Steve?
1: I'll go First.
3: Okay, what is the name of the cafe in Coronation Street?
2: Uh, Is it the Bridge Cafe?
3: No. Owen, do you
2: know it? Uh, No, Victoria's.
3: No, it's Roy's
2: Rolls.
3: (laughs) So, uh, Owen. Yes. By number of films made, which country Mm -hmm. has the largest film industry?
2: Uh, India.
3: Yes, point for you, Owen, well done. Mm -hmm. Steve. What song does the main character wake up to every morning in Groundhog Day?
1: Oh, it's been so long since I've seen this, I honestly couldn't tell you. Can you tell me what year Groundhog no, Day? Um...
3: That won't help you. I don't know. Darwin?
2: Uh, n- uh, no idea. I mean, really?
3: I thought you'd both go, God It's I got you babe by Sonny. And oh Cher. fuck! Of
2: course it is. Yeah, they
3: literally just <laughs> he plays oh, it okay. again and again. It's yeah. like
1: well, I start the idea of Groundhog Day. I think Paul.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, but that that clip is shown again and again. So you hear that throughout the whole film.
2: Um, you know, in Groundhog Day, did he ever just try staying up and not going to sleep? And just see how long he would go, or was it literally? Because it starts again every day at the end of the day.
1: Well, yeah. so you reckon, so you're saying that if he if he didn't go to sleep, yeah, that would have unbroken it because he would have stayed awake into the next day, or it would have reset itself and automatically he would have just gone back to the beginning of the day, like he would have passed out. And then yeah, like... I'm curious what would have happened. Uh, I I don't know. I honestly couldn't tell you.
2: <laughs> well, I'm not there's expecting no, a no... definitive answer.
1: I mean. No, okay. well when they
3: when they reboot it which they inevitably will mm-hmm. you can
2: ask them to uh, t- to drop that in and you can find out the answer will be in primer yeah but have you heard have you heard that theory about grand Dog day that actually he just spent like two millennia reliving the same day so on work day all the skills all the things that he learned to do in that would have taken him like hundreds of years to master that well like to do everything that he did oh yeah and they pull it all together, it must have been... I can't remember if it was 2,000 years or, you know, a few hundred. But that's... uh, Because you only imagine it's happening to him for about a year at most. But if you think about it, to get that good at piano, starting every day again... Yeah. Yeah? There we go. Anyway, I've gone off on a tangent already. We were meant to be doing this quite quickly today.
3: That's okay. Okay. Uh, Owen, it's your question next. Okay. Which Hasbro action figure got its name from a Robert Mitchum film.
2: Action figure. A Robert Mitchum film. Green Beret?
3: No, Steve, Steve Green- do you want to have a guess? Um, He-Man. He- no, it's G.I. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> I
0: was
3: closer uh, to the, I was, I was close yeah. knowing. Yeah. Steve, this is, this is your question, and funny enough, you're going to get this one. In the Star Wars films, which two actors played Obi-Wan Kenobi?
1: You and McGregor and Alec Guinness.
3: There you go. Point each now, it's tightening up. Mm. Mm. Uh, Owen. Mm. Anyone can fall in love was a chart hit set to the theme tune of which T V show?
2: Anyone can fall in I know this uh, only falls in horses. No,
1: Steve uh. Is it Stenders? Is
2: it is indeed. Oh god.
3: Dee 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 Dee. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, you've taken the lead, Steve.
0: Yeah.
3: Right, whose question uh, is is for? You... I've forgotten whose turn it is.
2: first <laughs> last
3: time. Okay, Steve. It's my turn. Who is the only character to appear in the first ever Coronation Street who is still in the show as of two thousand and nine? Ken Barlow. Is a bit... It is indeed <laughs> Ken Barlow. Uh, where have you got this quiz from? <laughs> I've, I've got an old quiz book out. Is <laughs> uh, that bad. bad? Um, Owen. Mm-hmm. Who is the host of the TV show, QI? Uh, as, as, of as, yeah, as of two thousand
1: as of two thousand and nine or as of now. Stephen Fry. Yeah, well done. Well, the him. correct
2: answer is okay. Sandy toxic. Oh is it? Yeah. <laughs> as of two thousand and nine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that. You've never watched it? No? QI. It's on about no. ten times a day on Dave. Yeah
1: we we, uh, Dave, we didn't, Dave's we got Dave. Hmm. Um, Dave's, Dave's got a new show that's that's brilliant now. Is
2: that the Stone, one with Greg Davis?
1: No, Stone Cold Steve Austin's Broken Skull Challenge. <laughs> okay, it's brilliant. Anyway, oh, it's, it's, <laughs> yes.
3: Right, the film Black Hawk Down was loosely yeah. based on a true incident that took place in 1993. In which country?
1: Um, Somalia.
3: Back of the net. Well oh. done, Steve. <laughs> And unfortunately, Owen, there's only one question left.
2: You can't win. And
3: uh, so you can't win. But um, which actress born in 1916 had her legs insured by 20th Century Fox for $1 million? In
2: 1916? Mm-hmm. Uh, Catherine Hepburn?
3: No, Steve, do you know?
2: Um, I
1: don't know. Audrey Dancers. <laughs> yeah.
3: it, was, it was it was Betty Grable, but oh, okay. it's, it's it's all a moot point. Well, uh, well done, that, Steve. That was that that was true as of
1: two thousand and nine.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do the news.
1: There, on to the news. Um, we found out this week that they are looking at rebooting, or remaking, or making a sequel or a prequel to The Matrix, which seems utterly pointless considering the two sequels anyway were garbage. Um, and the first one was one of the most original pieces of cinema I've seen. Well, at the time it certainly was. And it just seems to be, what's, you know, what's the point? Which probably leads us to a wider discussion about remakes and reboots and reimagining, especially with Kong, Skull Island being one of the main reviews this week. What do we think on the, on the Matrix being rebooted or reimagined or redone?
2: Well, there's the point there about it being an original film didn't it isn't it famous because it ripped off something else no i mean not not the
1: story you know not the story of the plot like the the way it looked visually Mm. like i hadn't seen anything like that in the cinema before when i watched it for the first time The kind of bullet time and all the Mm
2: -hmm. you know
1: the effects
2: and everything i would not seen anything like that before it was definitely innovative yeah for sure and it kind of changed um well, it was very of its time as well, wasn't it? Very late 90s, just before the new millennium. And mm. so um, playing on the whole technolo- technology being a threat ideal, uh, as well as all yeah. the philosophical notions. So it was very contemporary for the time. I don't know. I The first time I saw it, which probably colours my opinion now, the first time I saw it was on a pirated VHS, and you could just about make out what was going on screen. My mate brought it round and we stayed up till like 1am watching it and he fell asleep like after five minutes anyway. So that kind of coloured my opinion of that film. I didn't enjoy it. And I've watched it a couple times since and kind of I, I like the concept and the idea of it more than I like the execution because I think it's it's dated quite badly. The Matrix, you know, which isn't its own fault. But if you look at it now, it's, it's just not great to look at. It's very cheesy. Um, the thing is, with the
1: Matrix, you couldn't have a modern version of it. Because the idea of the Matrix is, is these computers, the machines, have made some reality to plug all the people into. so They don't know what's going on. They're just having themselves harvested for whatever the machines want them for. Mm-hmm. There's no way any machine, if you're trying to build some kind of happy experience for the people in the machine, would do Trump and Brexit and fucking hipsters and all this bloody <laughs> stuff that's going on that's now. That's a really they? good point. I like
2: that. Trump and hipsters together in the same...
1: <laughs> well, no, the whole thing, all the stupid shit, you know, all these, these idiots around at the moment who fucking cry over everything and Trump being president. He wouldn't... If they're trying to think, right, we're going to... If that if the Matrix is real, I'm I'm starting to think something's up. (laughs) There's no way that can be... Why Uh, would they put that in there? You'd think something was up. You'd think, no, this isn't isn't
2: reality. When you start
1: to think we're all just some hologram, like that science theory thing.
2: But, I mean, the Matrix was just... It wasn't necessarily... I mean, you only think that this isn't real because you've seen the Matrix, do you know? Like In the world of The Matrix, they haven't watched The Matrix. It's not a concept, so... Well, no, they're not going to program a film called The Matrix exactly. it's actually happening, are they? That'd be yeah, stupid. That would be a bit naive. It'd um, be a
3: double bluff, though.
2: Yeah. Maybe that is what's happened. That's really what's happened. they put The Matrix yeah. into this universe to convince yep. us that it's too stupid to happen. <laughs> yeah. Paul's and and, and pulls. Trump I'll and I'll the Hidget. I need to take a break.
1: <laughs> go on I don't know Snapchat or I don't know it's all weird it's mm. all gone weird
2: uh, <laughs> in terms of like a, remaking an old film like that because it is it is old now you know? they're not going to
3: remake oh, it though it it's just going to be they're just going to play around in that universe with new stories and characters it's, it's not yeah. quite the same thing as a remake is it
2: a remake right. in so much as the thing or um something like uh, uh, the uh, uh, Jurassic World well, uh, okay. is a remake well, and stuff like that. Well, you know? Jurassic World is a sequel, though.
1: It's very definitely a sequel. Yeah. Well, not, okay. Well, a re-
2: Star Trek, for example, Star Trek, Star Trek's a reboot. Definitely. But then that also links to the previous. Mm. Well, they they oh, found the think... way of linking tenuously.
1: well not tenuously, but yeah, they have found the. A... But it is a reboot because it's different. Actors playing the same characters, uh, <laughs> but it exists then, within the same. But for then, is X Men a reboot? Yeah, it's different actors playing the same characters, but it's not because the same have played them in both films and they've gone back in time mm. and made a different t- what when when does a film deserve a reboot? That's a better question to ask. When should it when what when should a film when... be rebooted?
3: Well, if you've got a recognised, well-known IP and you want to monetise it, that's, at that point, it, it is when they'll consider it deserving of a reboot. Yeah, that's, <laughs> from a, from the, that's the, from the basic film like, fan, like From a side.
1: film fan's point of view, because reboots get a lot of a lot of grief, especially if they aren't very good. Mm-hmm. So when does a film, from a film fan
2: or a film critic's perspective, warrant or deserve a reboot? When you have an... A, an... Interesting idea that's done badly. So, for example, Judge Dredd. I know it's just like a um, a re-adaptation of uh, the same source material, but people knew there was a good movie in in that Judge Dredd world, and the Sylvester Stallone was version was not it, right? So, people were more accepting of another go at Dredd because of that. Things like Todd McFarlane's recently talked about Spawn getting reboot because. Spored is a really interesting comic book. I mean, the whole premise of that is is quite fascinating, but it was done badly as a film because they made generic action blockbuster 101 and it turned out to be dog shit. And so they're going to do that again, which I'm happy about. What also happens is, I think for some people, is they want to see uh, live adaptations of animated stuff such as mm-hmm. Ghost in the Shell, which is coming out soon. And I think people... Although there is a, a backlash from a sort of fanboy crowd, there are still people out there going, well, you know what? Sticking Scarlett Johansson in it, creating a very visually strong world, um, doing something slightly different with that story. Why not? Why not? I'm, I have a go. And also... I think, yeah, so basic, my basic point is when, when something's either done badly and then is remade, then people are OK with that. Or like a franchise that tails off, you know, like if you have a franchise that goes downhill suddenly and people go, OK, they're going to reboot that, thankfully, they're going to give it another go. Then that's OK, I would say.
3: Remember that the studios are much more inclined to put money behind something that that, that has, you know, a built in fan base. Creating original brand new content or trying to get new franchises off the ground is incredibly difficult and incredibly expensive. You know, just from the marketing point of view alone, if nobody's heard of your whatever it might be, you know, the the the, the Blue Ninja Squad or whatever the hell it. <laughs> but, but, yeah. bloody hell! You know, it's it's a real heap of money you're having to pour into that, and an awful lot of them, certainly in, in recent history, have gone horribly tits.
2: Well, I was looking up this before we, we started recording, actually. I was look I found an article on Flickering Myth, which made the exact same point that you've just made, I think, which was saying that, um, basically remakes occur because Hollywood has property that they know they can make money from. And there are lots of flops. So he listed things like, um, this, the author, I can't remember his name, listed stuff like Jupiter Ascending, John Carter, um, all those kind of things that just flopped. But. I think there's, that's doing a disservice to. So, I mean, if in terms of financial sense, Interstellar, Avatar, The Martian, Gravity, all made a lot of money. You also have things that do something slightly different that are original, uh, or at least original movies uh, like Ex Machina, Looper, Edge of Tomorrow. They all pick up quite uh, significantly high ratings, and so. You know, Blade Runner is coming up soon. Nice. Right? Nobody really wanted a Blade Runner remake, but that's sort of on course to do fantastically well because they've got a good director behind it, or at least a flavor of the month director. They've got Ryan Gosling as the star. Um, you know, that could that's on track to do quite well. But yeah.
3: Just to end on, Den of Geek this week actually put out a uh, a list of 120 uh, remakes and reboots currently in the works. Mm. Pretty much anything you can think of from the last 20 years that you might have liked is... Or is in production? Any foreign film that was even remotely successful is being remade. It's, it's, the list—you you should definitely go and uh, check out the list. I'm not reading them out there a, are literally a 120
2: of them. <laughs> Killer <a> bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but I think June is due for a, a remake, isn't it? The Frank yeah. Herbert novel. I mean that again. that's see. That's an example of a film that, yeah. um, by all accounts, blew. And now they're going to do it again because the source material's there for it. And, you know, if you didn't have people trying to do things like that, I think it's it's a bit naive to automatically rule out Hollywood reboots and remakes because they tend to be uh shit or at least miss the mark, you know, just because for every total recall and Robocop and Ghostbusters, there, there's still people. Try- I mean, for example, you guys like Star Wars. Star Wars was effectively George Lucas trying to remake those old um, Flash Gordon serials. That was what he wanted to do. He wanted to yep. remake Flash Gordon, and he borrowed a little from Colomé and you know, Dambusters and Hidden Fortress and what's the Guns of Navarone and stuff like that, right? So, remakes that you—it's a bit foolish to automatically write them off. So no,
3: there's there's a lot on that Den of Geek list that I'm actually quite looking looking forward to seeing. Hmm. But it's it is, when you see a number like that, you think 120—that's yep. a lot. Mm. And these aren't low-budget things that are going to slide. You know, these are these are you know we've got money behind them.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: United Passions. Absolutely, yeah. that's definitely there. United Passions
2: to Qatar 2020, the sequel. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'd watch that.
2: Yeah. There is genuinely a movie to be made about FIFA, just not one that's been backed by FIFA.
3: Yes. <laughs> it would be a very different one.
1: Yeah. It's kept Tim Roth back in the play set though. Yeah.
3: <laughs> he'll, he'll take the money
2: hey, I can't have been doing that film for any other reason can he? no he looked <laughs> like he was embarrassed throughout he, the entire thing he, he's
3: been on record now and said yeah I did it for the money
2: yeah really no
3: <laughs> shit <laughs> <laughs>
1: What we've been watching where well, we have a look at some of the non-new releases that we've seen in the last seven days I'll start off I've been trying to start giving Game of Thrones a rewatch ahead of the new series starting in whatever it is because all the previews have been out it's, I still don't think it's top tier television it's, it's the next it's not like a Sopranos or The Wire or The West Wing or Band of Brothers it's not that top level of television it's the next step down and it's not because it's fantasy television or anything like that. Because there are good fantasy fiction, whether it's film, or TV or novel. It's just, it's just a bit popcorn telly. It's not, it's not as great as everyone makes it out to be.
2: I went off it a little bit. The last season won me back around, Actually, no, don't, which... don't, don't get me wrong. It's good. Hmm. It, it's good and it's
1: enjoyable and it's watchable. Um, but it's not like it isn't the best. It isn't. If you if I was to name my top five TV series of all time, or even top ten, maybe I don't know if Game of Thrones would be in it.
2: Yeah, that's possibly the case for me too. I mean, the, the, it's clearly got a lot of money pumped into it, and it looks like no other TV show does. But in terms of the, I mean, it's the way they try and hide all the quote unquote boring bits with just nudity. And it's like yeah, it's. It's aware that the people who are watching this don't are really morons. care. Yeah, they're just they're not watching it for the you know politics. They're not watching it for the Game of Thrones, so to speak. They're watching, they're watching it, it for Tits and Dragons. Tits and Dragons. Yeah, mm. I just um, get
3: confused because I read the books, and when I'm watching it, for some reason they all sort of m- melted into one, and I can never work out who's supposed to be where, <laughs> doing what to who. And, and I just I watch it, and I, and after I, I just think I have no idea what that was about. That's yeah. just me. I have got a memory like a goldfish.
2: Oh. No, I forget. I mean, my wife's read all the books as well. So every time we're watching an episode, I'm the annoying twat who goes, "What? What did? Who's that then? Who's they talking about? <laughs> the book, the who's he quite related different. to?"
1: The books are quite different because they've condensed some two or three characters into one character in some cases, or because the books are quite lengthy, they've cut bits out and mm. left characters out and events out and whatever. So, um, but I have been up, been up west. Is that what they call it in that there, London, pool? Yes, you've
3: been to the, the West End, Steve. Up yes, I've
1: been up West. Went to the Savoy Theatre. <laughs> uh, it was my girlfriend's birthday. So she'd wanted to see Dreamgirls for a long time. Did a drink ice time <laughs> ice cream, yeah. Definitely. Let's have to pay for this one. Brought like, it with him from the club. 4 a <laughs>
3: tub. <years. laughs> <laughs> yeah, snuck four it in. Four fifty for an ice
1: cream? <laughs> it's a big ice cream. Big old tub it was.
2: All right. And it's in a theatre, isn't it? I mean, come on.
3: I'm
1: going to jack prices right up.
2: The ones near us, we've got a little arts theatre and they have like the little tiny pots of like, you know, made of clotted cream or whatever they say. And it's just yeah. like, it's a little diddy thing. And that's about four quid.
1: That's... No, it had, it, it had the, it was a proper big, like it wasn't like the full on like Ben and Jerry's tub. But they want mm-hmm. one of the diddy little ones. It was a good portion, not 450s worth, but a London price in a theatre, it probably was. But you still get one of them stupid little plastic spoons you can't get into it with.
2: Welcome to the Failed Critics Ice Cream Podcast.
1: Oh, yeah. But you can't, you know, can last... you? Them little them little plastic spoons are about as big as a thing in yep. there. You can't dig in the ice cream with it. <laughs> and that's always the, the last... problem.
3: The last it's thing I saw in the West End... Did Steve, you just say, take your own bloody spoon. <laughs> um, but the, the last thing I saw in the West End was a play called Shopping and Fucking. And there was no ice cream involved, but there was bumming on stage, which was nice. Yeah. What, live?
1: <laughs> yes. Well like actual not the simulated yeah,
2: actual
3: I am not sure if it was simulated or not, but it, it looked quite real. So they were definitely going at it.
2: Yeah. It
3: was, I mean I think the clue was in the title.
1: Yeah. Sh- yeah shopping possibly. and fucking. Mm. Anyway,
3: yes, it's a sort
1: of so dream girls, and those who aren't familiar with the story. It has been a it was a stage show originally, and then it was a film uh, with Beyonce and Jamie Foxx. And Jennifer Hudson. I think Jennifer Hudson might have got an Oscar for it as well. It was definitely an Oscar nomination. Anyway, it is about uh, like Motown singers and a group. And it is, even though officially it's not, when you read all the similarities, it is definitely based on the story of the Supremes and Diana Ross. They say it's not, but it, it, you read all the coincidences, too many coincidences for it not to be based on that story. But anyway, so there's a group. They're called the, the Dreamettes. Um, and their lead singer is not the most attractive, but she is the best singer, and she's part of this group. And then when they start to get popular, their manager goes, right, I'm swapping you for her because she's better looking than you and has got a more commercial voice. They do that, and then it's all about the the, the dreamettes going off and end up being successful without her and in her life, and then it's all about the agent and another another male singer it, 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 the, the story is quite interesting the stage show I mean it was a full house and everyone most people in there seem to absolutely love it they're all on their feet at the end of it applauding I was never bored by it I mean I've only seen West End shows when I was a kid and we used to go to London with a family for the weekend I think I saw uh, Cats and Starlight Express and Joseph and his coat Joseph and his
2: <laughs> <Mac>. yeah <laughs> that was
1: something else you saw Steve
2: yeah um <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't say whether these kind of West End stage shows my thing, because I don't know if I was particularly gripped by this one and other ones I would be. But it, it was good, you know, all, especially the the main lead was meant to be um, Amber Riley, who was in Glee, but she wasn't on that night. So it was another singer who who's done Broadway before. And yet her voice was excellent. A lot of the other cast, most of the other rest of the cast, their voices were excellent. Um, whether I, you know, whether it's my thing or not, I don't really know. I can't say unless I go and see more of it, more of those kind of things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I mean, certainly the people there seem to rate it. So, yeah, um, something a bit different. We don't usually review that kind of thing on there. No. Might not do it again. <laughs> Uncultured
2: uh, l- bunch that we are. We um, yeah. don't normally review really websites. skating artist.
3: thing as well, actually.
2: That's Starlight um, Express.
3: Yeah. Bloody irritating because they roller skate where, where where you're sitting. And I was trying to have a little nap. <laughs>
1: <laughs> see, I saw it when I was a kid, and it was about trains. And I liked Thomas the Tank Engine then, so I was probably well into it.
2: Yeah, I think the only time I went to see a thing as a kid, like a theatre thing, was a Panto, and I remember sitting there thinking, "Panto is fucking garbage." I don't think oh, I've Panto changed my is opinion.
3: Excellent, Owen.
2: I liked the documentary Panto that showed all the background. Do you remember that one? I think you yeah, recommended yeah. it to me. Yeah, yeah.
3: It was on iPlayer, wasn't it? The oh, what's her name? I can't remember her name. Um, did she, wasn't it the woman who did the great hip hop pose
2: yeah it was the same one yeah yeah, that was quite fascinating but yeah hip panto is not my thing
1: I've seen a few pantos I mean yeah they, mm. they are what they are my girlfriend told me that if during Dreamgirls I shouted at She's beh- he's behind you then she mm. would have left me <laughs> <laughs> I was
2: so tempted you're a classy boy Steve yeah. we love you <laughs> uh, anyway uh, what have you seen Um, I've seen a couple of things. I saw a preview of Ghost in the Shell, about five or six minutes of that, which was on before Free Fire. I was going to talk about Free Fire, but I'm not going to talk about Free Fire because I imagine when it actually gets its release at the end of the month, we'll do it as a main feature. And so it would be a bit of a a dick move for me to start talking about it now before anyone else gets a chance to see it. Uh, But Ghost in the Shell preview, kind of thought it looked okay. It, It did exactly what you expected it to. Uh, in that it set things up quite nicely. You get to see the aesthetic, you get to see uh, Scarlett Johansson as major, and it teases a lot in an awful tiny section of what will be about a two-hour movie. So, kind of interested to see that. I also watched a couple of other films that I've talked about a million times. I watched Witchfinder General again, which was fabulous. I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, again, which is just fucking Brilliant. Just incredible f- film, that is. Um, so I'm not going to bother talking about those again, because, fuck it, we've talked about them a million times before. So that's all I've got for this section. OK, Paul, what have you seen?
3: Well, I watched uh, a film which is not out here yet, although it's a, a British film, It's uh, but it is available on US iTunes if you want to go and buy some gift cards off, e- off eBay to watch it.
0: it is Dave um,
3: Courtney in it? No. But I almost was expecting it to be geezers in space, or hooligans mm-hmm. in space, or as somebody's called it, Essex astronauts. Um, but it wasn't. Uh, the, the director and star is a guy called Simon Phillips. Um, don't ask me how or why, but I always end up watching, and I have and have now seen all of his films. Um, they are getting a little bit better. All of them are. Usually have the word hooligan in the title, has to be says, or Essex Boys. Um, and so when I read that he made a sci fi film, um, it's, it's also written by a guy called Paul Tanta, who is again responsible for all the terrible, um, Essex Boys, uh, and hooligan movies. So to see them do a kind of group of men and women, um, on, on a ship, post apocalyptic, Uh, earth timer they've got to go and find a new habitable planet Uh, and you can tick off all the stereotypes for the crew you've got you know the likable captain the lovable engineers a grumpy old fella one of the crews you know a a bit of a villain type character yes no the two girls in it were rebecca ferdinando and uh, rita raminani they are they're both really good um and the the two americans in it as well on the cr- crew the guys they're they're also good it's it's mainly the brits that aren't very good simon phillips he, he plays the engineer and, the, and he is the main character he is getting better i will say that when he started out he was not good He's just not an actor but by sheer bloody force of will I mean he's done so many films now he, he, you know he, he's got good by default um the story's pretty much as you'd expect. They're, they're on the ship, they're trying to find a habitable planet, they come across another ship, there are various, you know, tensions. Most of the characters play out to their stereotypes. Here's the problems. they didn't have a lot of money. And if you're making a space film, you need spaceships. It does look a little bit like um, Red Dwarf, or as the guys from Britpick. Uh, describes it, it looks It looks like a, a laser quest in Slough circa 1993 <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was pretty much bang That's on so yeah. it, it really does have that real plasticky look but the, the, the story and the cast just about hold it together and to be honest with you I was so happy to see these guys not ironing each other out you know, people think we watch or that I watch a lot of these terrible, you know, terrible films, hoping they're terrible. The reality is I'm hoping one day that some of them are actually going to be quite good. And, and this genuinely surprised me. It was actually, yeah, it is a little bit too long. If they if they lopped maybe 15, 20 minutes of this, um, they'd actually have a half decent film on their hands. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm tentatively going to recommend for the first time. A Simon Phillips film, however, I just need to put this out there at the start. that I've who on earth came up with this idea? I don't they need shooting, but they do a Morgan Freeman impression <laughs> for the intro of, as a voiceover. And it's just like, why would you do that?
2: Can you is it make meant to of, is it to be funny? Was it
3: no, Ugh. no? And I'm like, what. Y- You've made a half decent film. You've got it distributed, you know, and then wouldn't it be funny, right, lads? Yeah, if, <laughs> if one of us pretends to be Morgan Freeman for the voiceover at the start, and everyone going, "Yeah, that's a really good idea," because it's not. It's a fucking terrible idea. Uh, nice. Worth seeing just for that, I guess. If nothing else, you can always bin it off afterwards. But yeah, so um, hopefully this we could have seen a, a corner turned within the uh, the British straight to DVD market. And maybe no more hooligan gangster films. Maybe space is the way forward.
1: Not the final frontier? (laughs) No. Three new releases for you now, uh, which are Viceroy's House, The Love Witch and Kong, Skull Island. Um, And we go in that order. I've seen Viceroy's House. It has been out for a couple of weeks. Um, but nobody has reviewed it on here yet. It is a film starring uh, Hugh Bonneville. Is it Hugh Bonneville? It's definitely Bonneville. Um, you're one from Downton Abbey mm-hmm. and uh Gillian Anderson and it is about the India gaining its independence and the partition of India and the formation of the nation of Pakistan. It might as well be called Downton Punjabi. <laughs> There we are. Um, is that the? Is,
2: is that what? Because you told us you were going to be saving a line for this review. Yeah, that's, that's it. The line. That's, the the line. Okay. that's the one. That's the one. We'll it's highlight that. that.
1: Yeah, it's good that one. What well, was it again? Um, Do it again. Uh, it might as well be called Downton Punjabi. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah,
2: Perfect. Fantastic. Well there we go. <laughs>
1: there we go. I thought that all by myself as well. Amazing. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so it's it's not very good for a start. I've seen Callum tweeting about this, and he seemed to imply that it was. Um, offensive to Indians or the state of India, the nation of India, I think. Anyway, um, it was you uh, certainly tweeting something to that effect. I don't know necessarily whether I agree with him. It doesn't seem to gloss over anything, but it seems to be rather a confused film because it, it first of all it's first it's trying to tell three stories at the same time. So it's trying to t- t- tell the story of um, Hugh Bonneville's character, the Viceroy, and his his wife uh they've got to be the last viceroy of india to while the independence is happening he's got to manage independence um, and deal with that and the handover um and it's also trying to tell the story of the indian people at this time which is a very traumatic time i think 14 million were dis- displaced by this creation of pakistan which it did details a bit in the film and also there's there's a uh, a love story in there um between um one of the staff well, two of the staff at the uh viceroy's house uh, which has the most stupid ending basically i don't care if i spoil this but it's so the, the, two, the two members of staff um one of them stays at the hotel that to, not the hotel the uh viceroy's house to um, because you know, in, in the, t- the city they're in, and the other one because she is moving back to, um, I think she's moving into Pakistan because that's where her family's from, or because she's Muslim and that was the reason it being created. Anyway, they are in love, and she goes back with her family uh, away from him um, on a train. They smuggle themselves onto a train, and then th- because there's all these attacks and violence going on at the time, the train is attacked and everyone on it killed. Only, of course, she wasn't killed. She managed to make her way off the train and find her way back to him. Ah, bollocks. (laughs) Oh, dear. It it just didn't seem to fit with this film. But the the thing is, it's got this free story. The film would have been better if they either tried to do a political kind of drama about Indian independence um, and Pakistan being created, or if they tried to just make a film that was about this love story... Or if they tried to make a film that was about the plight of the just the general Indian populace during this troubled time. Instead, they tried to cram all these three things into the one film. It doesn't work at any point. The performances aren't fantastic. Things just seem to get picked up and dropped in the film. Like at the start of the film, and maybe this did happen in real life, but the Viceroy's wife, played by Gillian Anderson in a weird accent, she comes out and she says, oh, before we... She's she's taking a real interest in the people. She's making the menu at the Viceroy's House more authentic and Indian. She's promoting Indian staff members. She's not putting up with any racism um, or intolerance. And she's saying, you know, so and so much. There's so such a bad child mortality rate, such a bad child literacy rate. Before we make this country independent, we should really try and help that. That just seems to get dropped. Mm. You know, it just doesn't. Are there any jokes about Tiffin? No.
3: No, oh, so it's not no. like carry on up the Khyber too.
1: Or... No, no, it's definitely not carry on up the Khyber. It just, <laughs> it it's just,
3: it just seems to be, um,
1: it just seems to be trying to do too much and don't, doesn't know what kind of film it is. It was actually made or directed by uh, uh, the granddaughter of, of one of the Indian people who who were alive and went for this thing. Um, you know, it just, it just it seems to be a whole mishmash of ideas it doesn't really work whether it was a th- offensive to people I don't really know maybe Callum is onto something a little bit there um, I wouldn't really know enough about it to want to comment either way but it's just not a good film and I say maybe if they just picked one of those threads to run with on the whole it would have been a good film or certainly a better film um, Paul do you want to review The Love Witch?
3: The love, she's so dreamy. The love witch, she's <laughs> oh, so dreamy. I'm ever so slightly in love with 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 the love witch. Mm. Um, from from the aesthetics to the story, do you know? I think I think I said this to you, and it's the first mm-hmm. time I've ever gone on Twitter and tweeted about the costume design in yes. a film. Uh, it just it completely blew me away. I've been looking for something new and interesting. And there was, you know, a fair bit of buzz around this. And when I saw it, I was completely bowled over. Absolutely adored it.
2: Yeah, we first talked about it after or during Frightfest last year. So sort of around October, I think Frightfest is, isn't it? It's September, mm-hmm. October. So, um, cause the, we were just looking through the trailers and there was a list of them on a website. And you know, you go through them all and you think, okay, that looks like it's going to be a decent sort of micro budget film. Uh, this one looks like it'll be quite a fun horror. And then I saw The Love Witch and I was like, I have to see that film as soon as it's out. I just thought even from that little trailer, cause it's like a proper 35 millimeter, uh, yep. old school, glamorous, sexy yeah, I mean, thriller, right? I mean, yep. it's, it's all those things without being sleazy, without being. Uh, grubby, it's just nope. classy, is is what it is. Uh,
3: yeah, I mean, it's, it's classy and campy at the same time, but it's, it's, yeah, it's somewhat. The color palette automatically hmm. kind of could lead you towards thinking, oh, this is going to be, you know, as you said, grubby or sleazy, but it, it really isn't. It, it hmm. almost, it's, you know, it's a homage to the sort of, Big classic Hollywood movies, in a way, and shooting it on thirty-five millimeter as well. I mean, blimey, that that must have. I wonder where she
2: got the money. Yeah, I don't. She didn't. She didn't have any money, did she? Because she, she, she did everything. She, it was the director Anna Billa, we should say. Uh, yeah. She um, wrote it. She directed it. Um, you know, came up with the story, and scripted it. She then, uh, I think, cast it as well. She uh, did all of the costumes herself, either from joke, um, amazing. Yep. Yeah, she either bought stuff or she made stuff. You know mm-hmm. herself. Um, it, I think even it may have been slightly guerrilla filmed. Do you know what I mean? Like it yeah. was just a bit on the slide. We're not talking about Kong yet. Uh, hey. hey, yeah.
3: I even loved like the, the little touches and, and nods to the old school, like the rear projection, which was which was utterly terrible.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I think that. In terms, there was a point that you made about it being like an homage to those older films. Because I said exactly the same thing after the first time I saw it, and then I kind of revised my opinion a little bit. And then, because I don't think it is an homage to those kind of movies, I think what if it's an homage, it's to a style of filmmaking. Um, Yeah, more so. A
3: better description.
2: Yeah, because I don't think it, 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 as far as I could tell, it was not based on references to other films. I reviewed Kill Bill last week, which is, Mm -hmm. I mean, like 90 minutes of references to other stuff that nobody's seen. Whereas this wasn't. It was a completely standalone story. There was care. There was attention put into the detail of it. Um, Everything looked to be as perfect as it could possibly have been made to be. Yeah. and but so, it has actually a good story as well. I mean, it it's wasn't solid. just
3: yeah. visual, was it? You actually had the like the detective stories when I thought that was really clever. Mm.
2: But it wasn't like I mean, you watch it, and you think it looks like it should be an homage or like a pastiche of um, Hammer horror films, perhaps, or yep. or even sort of the Euro horrors or sort of giallos even. Yep. It's not. It isn't. It's not. It's not anything like those. It's just. It is what it is. It just it has the like aesthetic those, of those. It's set
3: yeah, it's, yeah, but it's set modern days. So they used stuff like m- mobile phones and
2: stuff. Their cars phones, and yeah. Mm. It just happens to be that some characters, mainly that the sort of primary characters involved all look like they fell out of Don't Look Now. It's just that they didn't. <laughs> um,
3: there was, um something yeah. I wanted to ask you actually we, we, in relation to the acting mm-hmm. specifically not so much the um, the the main uh character samantha robinson who plays elaine i thought she was really good
2: Superb, yeah.
3: but trish and jeff the, so her the, the lady who comes <laughs> around the house is it, uh names laura waddle the actress yeah, yeah. and griff who's played by a guy called Jan Keys. Mm-hmm. they were they deliberately wooden or did she cast relative because i looked through their bodies of work and both of them are pretty ropey shorts bit parts you know that well Laura Model, her you know her roles are nurse nurse two nurse three you know that and i'm thinking is it more difficult to get an actor to act badly or is it easy to just get bad
2: actors i don't think they were bad i think they nailed exactly what they were supposed to do and I, yes. I, I, i've, on I've purpose got purpose or
3: by accident
2: do you see what I mean? Did, I don't think they were they, trying they, to they be bad. Were
3: quite stilted and, and stiff in a way that perhaps they would have been in the 60s. When yes,
2: exactly. That's, ex- that's exactly it. I think she purposefully... In fact, I've got a quote from, from Annabella here, which she yeah. put out on Twitter. She said, the actors... Per- uh, wait, I'll go back a bit. She said, I uh, also wrote a script with the rhythms of a play because I like movies made from plays. The actors' performances came out of that writing style. They gave sincere, professional performances and were not trying to be stilted or wooden. These are mostly techniques no one uses anymore. It came out like a 60s movie. So So,
3: I think we were both right then, because I think they were not great actors, but when when they read those lines, they came across as if they were actually trying to be terrible.
2: I think if you if you compare it to like something where people are trying to be bad actors and do yeah. really and weirdly do really well at it would be something like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Have you seen that? The sitcom? so where they purposefully try to be bad and you can tell they're purposefully trying to be bad whereas with The Love Witch I felt they were they were all fantastic. They I mean you you're not watching it thinking oh this guy's the next Al Pacino he's going to be the new fucking Jack Nicholson. You're not thinking anything like that because they're not portraying characters like those actors would play they're not thespians they're not classically trained actors these guys are just in a a good a very good thrillery horrory type supernatural esque type story um that just happens to feel like it's old and therefore i think because it feels kind of old-fashioned yeah it feels so unfamiliar but i don't think that necessarily makes them bad actors, or that they were intentionally trying to come across as different. I think they were just doing everything a normal actor would do with the script. It just happens to be because of the way it was made that it just feels so unusual.
3: The only kind of negative thing I've really got to say about it is Probably could have trimmed some of the run time.
2: Mm, exactly. I was say two, two
3: hours is, do you know what I mean? Maybe 15, 20 minutes. There were some of the scenes, some of the stuff in the woods, some of the set pieces where there were lots of characters. They didn't really seem to add anything to it.
2: Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there was, it did slightly drag through the middle part. Yeah. You know, I had a lot of fun watching it. I think it's possibly the film of the year for me. Um, I'm, I just basically can't wait to watch it again. And even yeah, though I'm no. broke, I am considering buying the Blu-ray of it just so I can do that. Because it's it's just it's hilarious at all the right times. Like when it's yeah. supposed to be funny, it is funny. When it's supposed to be subversive, it feels like intentionally subversive. Um I just loved it. I absolutely adored The Love Witch. And I'm And so she bright. knows
3: how to rock a pair of undies, that girl. Let's let's you know, it's She does get a close off several times, but not in a sleazy way.
2: Yeah, 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 exactly. It's
3: it's incredibly difficult to do in this day and age.
2: I think because it is directed by and written by a woman, um, Mm -hmm. that it has a different perspective. So it's not just. They're not there for eye candy. There's a point. You know, it means something when she's using her um, sexual capital Mm -hmm. to get ahead. And you think. Feminine wiles. Feminine Well, feminine, feminine worlds is kind of something that misogynist men say about women who. Uh, well, uh, that's why I carry, said it. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean. There's there's something about her that's that's so. Uh, I'm trying to think of another word other than powerful because again, I'll just say like a horrible misogynist man trying to describe a good character In, who's female.
3: Independent.
2: And there's yes. another one. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah.
3: a, there's a little addendum. I went back and watched Annabella's first film.
2: Oh, right, the OK.
3: Viva, mm-hmm. which is about swingers in the 70s mm-hmm. and there's these, these friends who go on this kind of sexual exploration. Um, the slightly weird thing is that Annabella is the star mm-hmm. and she looks just like the love witch with mm-hmm. the same makeup, same hair, everything, and it kind of Freaked me out ever so slightly. Watching the two quite close together. Yeah, and it's got the same aesthetic as well.
2: I think she, I think she may be a little bit loopy, and in a good yes. way. Because I saw an interview with her, and someone asked her about how she came up for the with the story for the Love Witch, and she said, "Well, it's sort of a, an autobiography." like, <laughs> "Right," <laughs> which is fantastic, and you couldn't tell whether she was joking or being serious. Which is just uh the same as most of the film, really. Yeah. yeah.
3: I, I heartily recommend you uh, hunt that down, Aaron, because if you enjoyed that, you will enjoy Viva. Yeah. But it will, you'll see, it, it's slightly, it, it makes the Love Witch seem slightly creepy now, having
2: yeah. them both look very <laughs> similar. Right, I, I definitely Mate. will. Yeah, yeah so
1: Cool. Shall we uh, talk about Kong's Skull
2: Island? If we have to stop talking about the Love Witch
1: yes we will have to so um, dreamy <laughs> but anyway Kong Skull Island is the latest reboot of uh, the King Kong franchise and also a film that will tie in to this new monster monsterverse uh, featuring Godzilla I believe as well it's all going to tie in together um, mm-hmm. anyway so this one stars um, Tom Hiddleston uh, Brie Larson Samuel L. Jackson John Goodman lots of people really lots of very good actors in what was an okay in my opinion popcorn blockbuster yeah it's fine yeah i mean we could pretty much end it there couldn't we
2: yeah i mean do, do you really have a strong opinion one way or another I'm about no. no it
1: was fine it mm-hmm. was it was enjoyable it was there was nothing wrong with it there was nothing particularly right with it i'm not going to be raving about it to people if people say you know, oh do you see it? Any it good? I'll be like, oh, yeah, go and watch it. I'm not gonna be like, Yeah, you're definitely gonna see that straight away. It's that yes go, it's, it's, it's alright, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll 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 watch it again if it's on the telly, probably. Yeah. And I've got nothing else on. It's 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 fine. You know, the acting, the performances are fine, the plot is fine, the effects are fine, the 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 fight scenes between Kong and other big animals is fine um yeah that's all i can say about it it's fine it's a six out of ten film
2: yeah exactly it's exactly that there's there's nothing particularly special about it except maybe except possibly for john c Riley. he's Uh,
1: he's good and he has a nice story that resolves itself in a nice way as well
2: yeah because Um, the plot of king of this kong film is basically him isn't it it's his story um, yeah, the film opens with John C. Riley and it ends with John C. Riley. Um, yeah, mm. it's not a tradition. It's
1: not well. It's not traditional King Kong. It's not the, uh, a complete retelling of the uh, the traditional King Kong story of them capturing him, uh, taking him back to the civilization, him climbing a building with a bird,
2: mm-hmm. a girl,
1: and um, swatting away helicopters or planes.
2: Yeah, exactly. There's no Empire it's, State Building. It's just uh, no. It, which is, like, why the title works quite well. In fact, yeah. they could have just got rid of Kong. I think Kong yeah. is only there so people know what Skull Island is. The film is yeah. is about Skull Island, it's not about King Kong. Yeah. I mean, some some of the
1: scenes look quite cool. The soundtrack's pretty good, set it being the Vietnam, Vietnam War
2: times, so it's a pretty cool soundtrack. Although the needle um, drops every five minutes are a bit excessive. I yeah. Think it was uh, way overplayed. Like um, he was in love with his own soundtrack. A yeah. Little
1: bit. Like some of the, some of the scenes were quite cool when it kind of goes to that apocalypse now kind of thing. But Kong's in there, that that looked quite good. Some of the visuals were cool. But yeah, it's just a six out of ten film. There's some good bits. There's some lots so of good bits. But it's just all round a, a solid blockbuster.
2: Mm. I was a bit disappointed with the most of the performances. I think Tom Hiddleston was quite annoying for some reason. He was just a bit of a smarmy twat, wasn't he? And I.
1: I thought
2: he was alright. I uh, didn't really get on with him in this, like I have with other. I mean, I liked him in High Rise. Thought he was great as Loki, and he was good in Deeply seeing all that stuff. But I, yeah, I don't know. I found him a bit of a knobhead, really, in um, the most inarticulate way. But uh, mm. yeah, I didn't. I didn't think much of him. Brie Larson was fine. You know, she's got so, it in her to be a fantastic actress, but not really the opportunity to showcase it here. No. Samuel L. Jackson shouted a lot. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson played Samuel L. Jackson. Although it was kind of nice to see him be a proper bad guy. Yeah. Well, no, but no, not bad guy. That's not what I mean. Just to be a kind of... Because he's obsessed with war, right? And this, it, the, the thing is, like, the, the whole film is about how people deal said, with life after yeah. war.
1: I wouldn't say he was obsessed with it. I said he's more... He's, he's a military man. So when mm. there's no conflict, he feels lost. Yes, that's um, what that's what he that's what he knows. So when the Vietnam War is over, he's he's at a loss. He doesn't know what he can do with himself. That's all he knows is
2: is conflict and being in the military, which I hadn't really thought about it properly until just now. But it's him and um, John C. Riley's stories, really, that work quite well together, isn't it? Because they both are soldiers who face the same thing, really, where Mm. They kind of meet their ultimate enemy on that island, and it's about one yeah. guy who turns him into a friend and another guy who turns him into an enemy, like a proper, yeah. you know, thing to be defeated.
1: So it, it's not like it's not like there's bad actors doing it or average actors doing a, a good job to drag him up to average standard. It's it's good actors who can do better than the performances in this film just go about doing a six out of ten themselves.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was one of the things that worked quite well as, as, uh, with the characters is that they kept out any potential love story that would have just been tacked on, you know. Yeah, they, they, could, have,
1: they could have been easily been a couple in there with um, the two two assistants to John Goodman's character yeah. mm-hmm. and and Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston. There could have quite easily been a romantic subplot binned in there somewhere, but they
2: decided against that. I think that's a, what if you know, it's possible to be typecast as that. But I think Brie Larson is possibly getting to be a little bit typecast as the doesn't like have relationships on screen actress. Yeah. Yeah. But um anyway, it's fine, isn't it? CGI was good, though. I do have yeah. To admit, I thought yeah, they really put, good. They put, except for the fact that the monsters were mostly disappointed. I thought that the skull crawlers. Uh, or whatever you want to call them.
1: That was quite a funny scene when he was saying why he called them, why do you call them skull crawlers? <laughs> it's just it's made up now. Yeah. <laughs> I never <laughs> actually said it out loud. <laughs> it sounds cool, but now I said it out loud. It doesn't sound that good. Just, yeah. just
2: call them what you want. Yeah. But that was like the, the funniest bits with John C. Riley were in the trailer, which was a shame. The bit where yeah. he meets all he meets all the guys on the beach and he's like, "We're all gonna die." <laughs> You're a good bunch yeah. of guys, you know. All those those bits, those touches. He's he's
1: yeah. becoming a a better, not you know, a bit more well rounded. Some you know, doing
2: more varied roles
1: and just kind of.
2: Oh, he's always been it. a very underrated actor. I think people see John C. Riley as the guy who was in Step Brothers with Will Ferrell, but he went he went for a stage of just sort of.
1: Seeming to be that kind of person in films, but like he's, the, the yeah. hmm. secondary
2: character in a in a comedy film, usually he, with Will Ferrell. He's done. I don't know what films he's done with Will Ferrell other than Step Brothers, and he's very good in Step Brothers. Step Brothers is very funny, but you know but he do and Nights as well with Will Ferrell. Oh, did Was he? he in that? Uh, okay, I think so. But you know, be. I think John C. Reilly can be funny in a way that Will Ferrell can't, um, because no. you see John C. Riley in something like carnage um which is a very middle class stagey sort of comedy about two mm. couples who have an argument because their kids have had a slight falling out and i think that is a very funny movie and he's very good in it and he doesn't play the stepbrothers character he doesn't play the idiot and i think he, he's just good at being the every man sort of character i think if you also see him in something like buggy nights he's good in buggy nights uh playing completely different sort of character again. I think he is very underrated. I think he, he, he's got more strings to his bow than just being a slapstick sidekick. But, um, What's
3: yeah. Boogie Nights, Owen? Is that your accent? Uh, subverting that word.
2: Is it supposed boogie? to be Boogie? Boogie. Boogie Nights.
3: Is that what you do at the discotheques in, in Brum? Yeah.
2: So you take
3: I'd, your last I'd for say, a boogie. I'd say, I'd, <laughs> say, I'd say boogie as well, though, to
2: yeah. be fair. Going down the Boogie Nights.
1: I wouldn't say it like that <laughs> like a
2: moron
3: <laughs>
1: oh, <laughs>
2: just... oh, dear.
3: careful Steve Owen was a picky blind to remember
2: that's true I've got a razor in my cap because I also wear a cap <laughs> of course you do God.
1: anyway um, I think that's about it for, for this week other than recommendations
2: almost. I just want to say one almost. thing as well quickly on School Island what rating do you do you know what rating it was? No, I'm guessing a 12A. It was a 12A. Did you think it was a bit more perilous than most 12As? Not really. No, I mean you didn't really see other than people getting impaled
1: by spider off. legs. I love that was one. I suppose yeah, but it wasn't
2: that graphic. It was kind uh... of
1: graphic. I mean you,
2: you, know, you there was no
1: see, blood, but it was you saw um, you saw people getting stamped on a few times, and that no. but you never, it didn't seem like the most horrific it didn't uh, i thought 12 a was fine
2: I think for, it's for the most part it's more graphic than like taken three was and taken three was a supposed to be a film about a guy going around killing loads of people and I think that it's because you you saw quite a bit more than you normally see in a 12 a Normally, there's cutaways. In this, people were stamped on, were chewed, were impaled by spider legs, were, you know, was one guy decapitated? I think you get to see... More... Oh, yeah, you saw an arm get pulled off, didn't that you? That was it, yeah. Someone pulled... His arm ripped out of his socket. I mean, okay, fine, it's silhouetted and there's no blood spurting everywhere, but I'm not complaining, you know. I just think that it seems... Odd how one thing can get a 12A and another can be boosted. And again, it's just we've had this discussion a million times before as well about how these ratings work. And just because there's no blood, suddenly it's not as shocking. I just don't get that. I just don't understand it. Mm. But anyway, so um, that was the only that was my last thing to say on Kong. Right, there we go. Um,
1: so yes, only um, uh, thing left is recommendations. I'm going to go for Netflix. Well, they have now put the nice guys on there. Oh,
2: fucking brilliant. I've seen that about four times now, five times, I think. I'm going to watch it again. You can. Um, Paul?
3: I'm going to recommend Storyville again. They've been absolutely killing it lately with loads of true crime. Killing for Love was on a couple of weeks ago. And this week it was Murder in Italy, which is, it sounds really boring, but it's a, a... a story about how they go after this guy based on a tiny DNA sample and then use that to almost track the village, then track who the father was. And and it's incredible the sheer volume and and the amount of tests they did to try and find this guy. Absolutely fascinating. So yeah, heartily recommend that.
2: And Owen? Um, Well, I was, I was sure that a you were going to recommend Iron Fist because that goes onto Netflix. Um, and I thought that Paul, you were gonna recommend Wild Tales which is on uh film four at twenty to midnight on Monday. The article, oh I thought it was on like, last
3: week. Okay.
2: Yeah, Argentinian anthology, horror comedy, um six they're all about revenge basically, aren't they? This, yes this, yeah
3: well i'm recommending that as well then
2: <laughs> there we go
3: and i'm also recommending that the love which is so dreamy
2: three pound fifty i got that for google play what's your excuse brand new film go and rent it well that is all for this week's Failed critics podcast thank you all for listening uh you
1: can find us over at our website as well there'll be some articles on there um i'm
2: assuming oh, there'll be a, a character unlock up at some point uh, if there's not a new one up already, what are we on? We're at half past ten on Thursday, so in an hour and a half, at the time of recording, there'll be a new character unlock. Okay. And
1: um, for when can we uh, have another Underground Nights from you and James manager?
3: Yeah, Mullins is on tour at the moment, so it's proving slightly tricky. We've, we have got a, a guest and everything lined up. We've got the subject lined up. It's just now finding the time to get it done. I think he's launching a magazine as well. So, uh, he is. busy, busy boy. He'll hmm. be yeah, soon, don't worry.
1: But have you got any insight into who the interview is, what the subject is?
3: Yeah, he's going to be doing... um got one of the guys from Britpix is, is coming on. These, these guys know... Everything <laughs> there is to know about Geezer movies, so it'd be uh, it'll be interesting to uh, to uh, to have a chat with them.
1: Lovely, yes, that is all for this week. Next week, on What's happening? Um, it's going to be me and Owen and other people on films.
2: Yeah, Beauty and the Beast. I think it is. We're going to talk oh. about some films. Mm. With uh, let me have a look. Tony Black. Tony Black is on, and it is Beauty and the Beast next week. We'll have to think of a triple bill. Yeah. <laughs> Failed Critics podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes created by James Diamond with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com You can find us at FailedCritics.com on Twitter at FailedCritics and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics Thanks for listening
3: Tim Roth stole your goalposts.
1: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Could, but I don't need any new goalposts. Just use jumpers. What do we? What do we need?
3: <laughs> do you it, must need something. Every every uh, grassroots football team needs something.
1: Well, we got. I'd like you'll like this, Paul. I know we might edit this out, but we got we got some local businesses to sponsor us Mm. and we asked for 200 pound for a year sponsorship we got about eight to do it and a local ice cream producer said no we're we're not we can't give you 200 pound sponsorship money what we can do is give you 200 pounds worth of ice cream (laughs) yep Yep, sold i was taking that (laughs) yeah yeah that's in the clubhouse now. Getting <laughs> up the freezer.
3: 200 bits worth of ice cream in the clubhouse. That's grassroots gold, that is, Steve. Absolute gold.
2: I oh, bought orange slices at half hard time. <laughs> have a magnum. <laughs> no, it's proper ice cream. It's proper hey,
1: locally keep... made ice cream.
3: Mm. What about you could use it as a transfer fee? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: I've got to keep the clubhouse. I'm going down there later getting some mint chocolate chip. <laughs>
2: Just ice cream just, being passed I from just club just to put club. i the new center like... forward
3: for six magnums. <laughs> <laughs> the
2: Southwest version of Bitcoin.
1: Just chocolate chip <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> Two Viennettas.
3: Steve Norman's <laughs> chest freezer.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.